Welcome to Punchboard Paradise, a bi-weekly podcast about the world of tabletop gaming and the topics that affect the board game community. In episode six, the Punchboarders talk about what we've been playing, answer questions from the mailbag, and do our Origins preview. Hello, everyone. I'm Clef. Hey, I'm Chad. And I'm Richie. All right, guys. We're only about, ooh, what, a little less than a month away until we head to Columbus, Ohio. That's right. That should be good. It's been hard to work lately. I've just yeah. been <laughs> going through the BGG list of all the games and stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to work because oh, it's man. sunny and nice outside, too. Like, I hate when, my pe- when people are coming inside and, and saying, oh, it's so beautiful out, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's hard as You're well. Like, Thanks. <laughs> yep, that's great. I have terrible allergies, so uh, and I'm highly allergic to grass, so I don't really <laughs> care for the outdoors all that much. <laughs> that's a bummer. <laughs> oh man. Well, we are board gamers, so that really yeah know, it works out well. This is true. Yes. Well, okay. So here you go, Richie. It's also the time for summer movies. Now I can't. I have. I have had not asked you this. I know that you aren't a Star Wars fan, but are you? Uh, a Marvel fan? Do you go see the comic book movies? No, I don't. I'm not. I'm, I don't watch any superhero movies. And like, I'm a nerd and I'm a geek in other ways. But for some reason, Star Wars, Marvel, DC, all that, it just does not appeal to me. And I don't know if I can handle like the, you know, 20,000 reboots of Spider-Man and the Hulk and all those. Well, but <laughs> I'm coming. agreeing with you there. There is there's almost too many superhero movies now it's like there's one every other month yeah of a different superhero disney has yeah. hooked hooked marvel and uh star wars up to the milking machine and is going at it full force i think yeah, but i have absolutely. to say i know i know it wasn't your favorite but but finn and i went last week and we really enjoyed the avengers movie we i mean i know it's not the best film but as a movie movie we we had a great time we we had fun that's so, good. And I'll tell you what, like I had to tell Finn to to just knock it off after a while because I mean every single thing he did when we got home, you know, everything he was going dun 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 dun, dun and it all had to have theme music. And I was like, just pour the cereal, okay? Just pour the cereal. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, so speaking of that, maybe we can move right into our recent plays because what we played last weekend was Marvel Legendary or Legendary Marvel, the deck building game. So you guys have heard of this, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, almost a, our, our friend our friend Bryce uh, would call it one of his from the dust games for me. So he calls it that because it's one of those games that hadn't been played in a long time. But because we were excited about the movie, our friend Vince came over and we all got out some heroes and stuff and started playing it. It's a deck builder, and it's the the interesting thing is it's a semi cooperative deck builder. So you got to beat the bad guy. You're all fighting. You're recruiting different heroes. You pick the heroes that you want to put in your in in the deck that's going to be drafted at the uh, steps in the round, and you're all supposed to be uh, agents that are recruiting these these heroes and you get to pick and you stack them into the hero deck and then they come out and you're trying to draft them into your hand so that you can have a, a great deck to fight this master villain and the villain deck is also made up of minor villains that you kind of get to choose and put together too so there's just a ton of customization because i have a couple expansions too so 
we had a great time kind of picking out all our heroes so it was it was fun and it gives a lot of opportunity for storytelling so when you have hulk come out and do a big one two combo and then iron man finishes up and takes out carnage or whatever it's 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 fun it's fun to get into the storytelling of it it's light combo building and it is a cooperative game albeit semi-cooperative because at the end all the villains that you've taken and the bystanders you've saved are off to the side and you get points for each one and whoever came up with the most points wins Uh, but that is where it is a little bit tricky because the the cards some some of them allow for you to take your cooperative players uh, bystanders away or kind of sabotage their play at times which is kind of wonky so sometimes we either try not to pick the hero the heroes whose actions do that very much or we kind of resign ourselves to it but we i kind of pick and choose whether we want to do that so that's the one problem i have with that game but so is it semi-cooperative yeah it's semi-cooperative so okay we have you have to work together to beat the villain but then like i said somebody can be crowned winner with the most points at the end from bystanders and villains vanquished hmm. Would you rather it be just cooperative? Well, you know, yeah, I think so. I think so. It makes the most sense to do it that way. But the the thing is, is that, like I said, some of the powers of the hero cards, you're kind of almost forced to do that. Because when they come out and you play them, they have a certain effect on other players when you play them. So it kind of makes it hard to fully do cooperative. I mean, obviously that system, the legendary system, has Aliens, a deck-building game, which is fully cooperative. And uh, I haven't played it, but you can kind of give each other help and and do stuff like that as you're playing. And so, as I've heard, it's 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 a more fine-tuned system for Aliens, but I haven't, I haven't played the game. I will say that, you know, it's a Marvel Legendary. It's a great game. It's a great light game to play with a family if you're all into Marvel. That's that's what I will say about it. So we had a good time with it. Well, you you might be surprised about this, but I've I've actually gotten a play of that game, man. <laughs> I'm not surprised that you've gotten a play. <laughs> I will be surprised if you tell me you want to play it again. Oh, then you are not any more surprised then. <laughs> okay. You, you're done being surprised. <laughs> yep, yep, I'm done. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, a, f- a friend of mine, his his little kid, you know, loves it, and he brought it over to show me, and uh, yeah. For one thing, I don't like deck builders for the most part, and secondly, you know, the, the semi-cooperativeness, I didn't like. You know, I, I honestly felt like if I was going to play this, I would have rather it just been a cooperative game because it just didn't make any sense to me to – trying to who knocks the last person out or whatever. So that's why I asked you what, what you kind of thought of it. Right. If you thought it should just be cooperative. Oh. Sure. I hear you. So, Richie, tell us what you've been playing. Well, it was about a week ago, I think. Or, I don't know, it was a little bit ago. Me, Clef, uh, and Corey got in a game of Mombasa. Oh. And, mm-hmm. yeah, really good game. Yeah. It, Alexander Pfister, uh, R&R, puts it out here in uh, the United States. And the reason I wanted to talk about it, because Clef taught me this game. And when Clef teaches this game, <laughs> one of the first things he'll tell you is he'll pick up the bookkeeper card and he'll kind of just chuck it in the pile and tell you it's good for coins only. <laughs> uh, I guess I should actually explain the game a little bit. So it's a area control worker placement. And it's actually kind of a weird game to explain. Um yeah, area control, worker placement, set collection. I mean, it's all over the board. Stock it's manipulation. Stock yeah, manipulation. It's, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's got it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I'm not even going to go into the rules. We'll, we'll just, yeah. I'm going to talk about this. Sure. So, <laughs> um, so, yeah, 
Clef, there's a there's kind of three main strategies that go after in the game. There's the book track, and then there's the diamond track, and then you know you can go after stocks is kind of the the main ways that you're going to win the game. And Clef has always you know poo pooed the book track. Yeah. And I <laughs> I loved the game the first time he taught it me, and I ignored the book track and I won. But it bothered me that I, this whole section of the game was just ignored. And I really wanted to try to win using the book track. So I went online. This is something I never do. I went online. I looked at strategy, uh, people talking about the strategy of it. And everyone on there pretty much said that it's a weaker way to go. But if you, you know, this is how, if you're going to pull it off, this is how you're going to pull it off. And I finally pulled it off. It it took a couple things. One, Clef played terribly. Well. Two. <laughs> <laughs> Bam. I, I will defend myself in a moment. Go ahead. <laughs> Two, Corey, uh, it was his first time playing, and he's kind of the same. Or anytime you tell Corey or anytime Clef tells Corey something, he pretty much wants to do the opposite. Would you say that's correct, Clef? Uh, that is 100% correct. All right. <laughs> and so then he, he went after the book tracks, and by two of us going after books, it made that display of books cycle. So you could – it was a lot easier for me to plan out my book track strategy since I was seeing a lot more books since he was also going after them. Uh, but after that win, it, it has now cemented itself in my top 10. It's, it had been held out of that because of the, you know, can't win with the book track. After that, it, it's in my top 10, and I love that game. Uh, go ahead and defend yourself, Clark. <laughs> well, okay. I, I didn't play terribly. I did something that I normally don't do in that game, and, and that is I kind of focused on three different tracks of the stock. And it and partly the reason why I was kind of doing that was Corey being Corey likes to just mess me up in any way he possibly can. And so he was kind of pushing back some of my, uh, you know, area control with the, with the houses. And so I kept trying to kind of go, okay, well then I'll go to this one. We're normally in that game. I just keep with one track and then that's all I'll focus on and do everything I can to get all the way up to the to the full stocks in that and just try to push that, that house out, those houses out completely. So th- I will say this, I will reserve you winning with the book track as that game was a little different than normal. We'll, we'll, we'll play it again and see what happens. All right. I that, still that say is the strategy. A, I would say that, that is the strategy that they say. But that you had you cannot to have let someone run Corey off with a, with a, uh... If Corey was simply just going after, a stock track also, there's no way the books can win. That was going to be that's my, my question is the, the cycling must have been key then. Uh, it, no, the cycling wasn't key. It was the – so in the last turn, one, I had all six slots open, mm-hmm. and I was able to – St. Louis was the, the highest that uh, Clef was on, and I was able with uh, Cairo to basically eliminate St. Louis. Mm, okay. And Corey was also a little bit high on that track, so the, he – didn't mind that and he kind of pushed on that one as well yeah i don't know it yeah well definitely i'm up for another rematch i love the game so i'm, I'm definitely up for re- another rematch yeah i i think well i'll definitely say this i think two player i don't think there's any way that one person can do the books and yeah that would be tough that would be tough. still in the game i think in a three or four player game they're more viable even since I still think that they're by far the weaker strategy. And I will say that it wasn't purely books. I basically did a book diamond strategy. I got 20 points out of the books and I got 30 points out of the diamond track. 
Yeah. I was surprised how high you were ended up on the diamond track with having to concentrate on books as much as you did. Yeah. So, but yeah, at, at two players, you would need, they have a little mini expansion. Uh, I think it's called Cook Books, uh, where basically some of the books have a, uh, they increase your end game value. Uh, so it'd be like an extra 10 points, an extra five points onto that, whatever your end game score is for books. That would be the only way that I could see you possibly pulling it off in two player game, but it'd be tough because you'd be the only person going after books possibly. So you didn't even use the cooking the books expansion? No, this oh. was just base game. All right. Okay. Well, that's yep. all the more interesting there. Uh, but yeah, Mombasa, really good game. Uh, Clef, uh, I know you're going to talk about another game we played that night. Yeah, uh, I actually got a couple of plays into this game here recently, and I, I had never, well, I won't say that. It, well, the game is Trois, and I purchased this game a long time ago, well over a year ago, and didn't get a play-in with it for a while, and then eventually I got a two-player play-in of it and kind of thought the game was, eh, okay, was, wasn't great. But I had heard from a lot of people that it was a better game with four players. So I was kept kind of putting it on my, you know, hey, I want to try this game out with more players. And finally uh, got it to the table with more with, with four players. And it started off a little clunky. Once again, I won't go into just super details about how the game is played, but it's a, it's a dice drafting game. But it can have some real, uh, I don't want to say meanness because, I mean, it's just part of the game. But it's, it's, you, know, you can draft other people's dice and take them away from them so then they don't have theirs to use. Now, granted, they have to pay you money to do it, uh, and then you can basically buy theirs back. So it's it's not super mean, but there are some cards that can really, really hurt you, like what happened to me that night. I have found you – know, so anyways, back to the, the first time we played it with the four players. Uh, after kind of, like I said, the clunkiness that we kind of figured out how the game was, uh, about halfway through the game, I was like, I really like this game. And then we played it again, and I'm telling you right now, this game has really climbed on me. I'm like, I'm ready to play it again, and I haven't gotten a chance to play it with the expansion, the the, the Ladies of Trois, but uh, Richie told me earlier tonight that he has acquired uh, the game with the expansion out of a trade, yep. so I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, giving that one a shot. Uh, if you like dice drafting um, and somewhat some area control on some of the cards and and uh and you don't mind at points kind of being mean to people this is this is a definitely a a good one um real quick what what happened with the three-player game is richie and my friend Corey bought the tax collector or whatever you they put their little trading houses on the tax, <laughs> yeah, collector. tax collector and let's just say on average i was paying out somewhere between 12 and 18 coins around between the both of them because i was just it was it was close to the uh, to the Chad Vinos death spiral is, is yeah. basically what was going on to me, not by choice. But I'm gonna trademark that stuff. You should, Chad, because we're using that a lot. Yeah. So, anyway, so that that was Twa. spelled T R O Y E S for anybody who's taking notes at home. I also, by the way, I want to say um, that I. I was interested. I definitely give it another play, but I would like to see the re-implementation by the same designer, Du Dujardin. I think is his last name. I don't know. I, I might not get that right. But 
even more importantly, new art by my man, Ian O'Toole. So anyway, that one's called Black Angel, the re-implementation. We'll see if that gets to be out before the end of the year. They had talked about it in time for Gen Con or then maybe Essen, but we'll see. And that that's a, a redo of Twa a, or just a, a... re-implementation, basically, the, the, hmm. the guy, the, guy hmm. uh, the designer had stated. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Well... Are we ready for some questions? Yeah, do some questions from the mailbag. Yeah, All right, so let's let's head into that virtual mailbag. All right, so we got a, a listener email from David from Saskatoon, Canada. Hopefully I said Saskatoon, right? That's such a cool word, Saskatoon. Yeah, it sounds like a good place to live, but I'm sure it's cold up there. I'm sure it's beautiful, though, at the same time, because most of Canada is pretty beautiful. Yeah. All right, so his question and his email started out with a lot of nice things. We appreciate that, David. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sending in the email. Very cool to be getting these. All right, so in David's email, he uh, talked about he had a copy of Francis Drake get a whole glass of beer spilt on it on the main board, kind of ruining it. And his questions for us is, do you guys have rules with your game group regarding food, drinks, and gaming? David has a couple rules himself. His first rule is drinks are placed on stools off the table to limit the risk of you know, that happening again. And then uh, his second rule is food is not permitted on the game table. So they keep it on a little side table and they can take breaks to eat. And if it's something that's greasy or sticky, they have to wash up before they continue gaming. Uh, so do you guys have any rules like that? How about you, Chad? You know, I, I've i had stuff spilled on uh, one of my games before. Luckily, I did it really quickly. It's always interesting because when you play with new gamers and you're, and you're rushing to like fix it and stuff, because they sometimes some of those new gamers don't understand what it you know, like how much some of these games cost. And they look at you like, what? You know, it's Monopoly. What are you freaking out about? And uh, so I had some spilled on, on, a, on a couple of Dead of Winter cards, and I managed to clean them off really quick. But it was funny because I got really panicky, and they sort of were just really taken aback. <laughs> I have since tried to have all allow stuff on my table but i try to if possible make sure all fluids have a lid so that you know as soon as something gets knocked over if it's to get knocked over it it's contained or we can get stuff out of the way real quick before there's a massive spill so that's one of my rules anyway yeah i know clef you got that nice table you have any rules with that yeah absolutely zero uh open containers on the table now i have you know, the nice cup holders that are on the side, which really helps. I'm fine if you have a, uh, a bottle that's like that you can close the lid. That That's fine by me because then obviously if it knocks over, it doesn't spill. But yeah, no, no, open, uh, no open containers whatsoever. Uh, but funny side note here that Chad talked about how a Dead of Winter game for him uh, got spilt on. Now, I have no one to blame but myself for this. I had Dead of Winter all set up and was about to teach my wife. And my wife is a big coffee drinker. So she had a coffee on the table when we were about, and I had all the Dead of Winter all set up and ready to go. And as we've kind of discussed before, I'm, I'm a big baseball fan. I'm a big Royals fan. And the game happened to be on. And something really bad happened in the game. And I was upset. And I hit the table with my hand really hard because I was mad. And her coffee knocked over and spilled over my entire game of Dead of Winter. 
<laughs> That's why you should stay away from cooperative games. Yeah, well, yeah. Maybe, maybe right there I learned. <laughs> what are your rules for people trying to so, bend your boards backwards? That's what I want to know. <laughs> uh, guys, it's been fun doing this podcast with you. I'm out. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Okay, inside joke. Uh, Richie, uh, what about you? Do you have anything that you have rules on? Um, so... My own, I don't really have any rules. I, I try not to freak out about it. I've only had one game spilt on. It was Caverna, and it was it was my glass of water, and I'm the one who knocked it over. So I, <laughs> I have no one to blame. <laughs> but um, I, as far as like, were you talking about bending boards back and or like bending up cards and stuff like that? So like my, I, we play a lot of games with my wife's family, and I've just learned that I just don't take rare or really nice games over there. We play, we play a lot of card games and, you know, anything that I can easily replace just because, I mean, there's a lot of little kids running around and they, they're all, you know, they're the type of card players that kind of bend the cards up. And so I've just learned to, you know, just kind of stare straight ahead and go to a, a you know, a safe space in my mind. <laughs> so that interest, that's interesting because it strikes a, a chord. Like I, I remember reading his email and it said something like, you know, is it, is it reasonable for these to ha- me to have these rules? You know, is there a balance? You know, uh, are there party games are okay to have greasy, sticky cards? You know, so he was kind of saying the same thing. He, he was kind of concerned. And I get this. It's nice because he's saying, I don't want to be known as a board game snob and have the gaming experience not be enjoyable. And and I, I totally get that. Like I said, you know, playing with people that are new to the hobby and you just you know, you grab all the stuff in your arms and just glare at them. You know, it's just like it can really be off-putting, right. obviously. So, so yeah, I think there's a balance there. All right. So, David, thank you for that question. We really appreciate you listening and we appreciate you sending that question. And then you can, for anybody else who, who wants to, please feel free to email us at punchboardparadise at gmail.com for any other enlightening thoughts we can provide for you. We, we like getting your, your mail and answering your questions. So thanks a lot. Yeah. We'll take uh, questions about board games, questions about your love life, whatever you guys want to send us. <laughs> okay. I don't know about that last part. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. All right, that was just me. All right. Let's move on to Clef's Kickstarter Corner. Okay, so today... I'm going to talk about a game called Treasure Mountain. Uh, Treasure Mountain is a two to four player game, plays in about 60 to 90 minutes, designed by Daniel A. George and Kate Blevins. It's a worker placement game that has some aspects of some worker bumping. Well, basically, like uh, you bump a guy off and they'll get another action. It's all about some dwarves that are mining in these caverns and getting these gems and then they bring these gems up. And obviously at that point, that's when you kind of use these gems to, to gain coins and, and gain other different things. And really then it's just a big victory point type of game where you're just trying to gain the most victory points. But it's got a lot of cool elements. One of the cool things I really liked about this game was when you place a worker on a spot, certain spots, you'll get a bonus by the person who's kind of going there. But then everybody else also kind of gets to take that action after you. So that's kind of an interesting thing where you're, everybody takes that action, but like I said, you get a little bonus for going there. But then, like I said, later, somebody could bump you off that spot and then do the same thing. And then everybody's taking that action again. 
So with only, like I think in a four-player game, you think you only have three workers. So it's not very many workers, but you're getting a still to take a lot of actions during the round because of, you know, triggering off of other people's actions. And then, like I said, if you get bumped, you can actually take another action. And the way the bumping works is, if you have, say, a two that's out on the board, you'll have different numbers on these on your workers. Somebody else could bump that with a higher number. So they could bring a th three in there and they bump you off and then they get to do that action. But then the great thing for you is you get to take that action again. It looks beautiful. They have all these uh, little arc, uh, little gems that you use for all the different uh, things that you mine up. They've got... Uh, beer tokens. Yeah, beer is part of the currency in the game. We can't can't beat that. Beer is a currency. You've got uh, money coins. You've got just a bunch of beautiful things in the game. There was one thing that kind of uh, was kind of bugged me about the game, and that was there is a dragon that is in the game. And when you go to these like more deeper spaces, maybe in the mine, uh, you can anger the dragon, which is all cool by me. It's kind of cool. It's kind of thematic. You're, you're going deeper into this mine. And so you're, you know, you're kind of making the dragon rumble when you take these actions. And so you go so far and finally the dragon will wake up and he'll attack everybody. Now, there are ways in the game to get little mining uh, axes that you can use to fight or bow and arrows or, you know, different things that you can throw at the dragon that you can use to fight the dragon. And you can go get those items, and definitely you can use those to help you fight the dragon. The one thing that I didn't like about the game is, though, is when you go to fight the dragon, everybody rolls their own six-sided die, and whatever number you get, that's what you add to the dragon roll. That part, not 100%, not the worst part, because I still feel like you could, you know, make sure to mitigate by taking enough of the axes to help you fight the dragon. But then also, whoever has the highest roll gets the dragon token, which can be worth like, you know, eight, 10 points or whatever. And that I thought was kind of a, a strange thing for such a deep Euro-y type of game to have that aspect in it. But then I found out they had a Rado variant um, from the obvious Rado, the guy who uh, Rado runs through. And his variant was that you roll one die that then that's the dragon and everybody uses that die to fight the dragon. And I was like, okay, that definitely would be something I think sounds cool. And kind of, you know, makes it where I don't have to worry about somebody rolling a six and me rolling a one and them getting the points and me losing it. Still, you have the thematicness of it. You still have that dragon attacking. So anyway, so really a very cool game. I really suggest everybody go check it out. It's called Treasure Mountain. Now I'm going to tell you right now, this game, uh, not going to be very long on Kickstarter. If you hear this episode day one and this is something you're interested in, you better hit uh, Kickstarter immediately to get it. Because uh, I think it might only have a day or two left when when this airs. So definitely go there very quickly to check out Treasure Mountain by Daniel George and Kate Blevins. Cool game. Check it out. Alrighty, so now we're going to head over to Chad and we're going to talk about what's new in the news. So this last week in the news, the Spiel des Jahres nominees were announced and for Game of the Year, there were uh, there were three nominees in the different categories. So first in the Spiel des Jahres, the more accessible family weight game is Azul by Michael Kiesling, Luxor by Rudiger Dorn, 
and The Mind by Wolfgang Varsch. Uh, then they had additional Spiel des Jahres jury recommendations, they called them, and those went to Five Minute Dungeon, Memoir, and Santorini, Woodlands, Face Cards, and Majesty for the Realm. So those were the more accessible games that were nominated. Then they had the Kennerspiel des Jahres, which is considered more of a hobbyist game award. So the, the three nominees for that were Gon, Schön Clever by Wolfgang Varsch, Heaven and Ale by Michael Kiesling, and Die Klacksalber von Quedlingberg by, you guessed it, our buddy Wolfgang. In related news, head Spiel des Jahres jury panelist Wolfgang's mom said this is one of the best years in gaming she's ever seen. <laughs> I, I bet. Yep, I kid. But uh, I just, that's pretty interesting that uh, Wolfgang burst on the scene this year like that because I've never heard his, heard his name before. Yeah, he only has like one, I think maybe one or two published games before this year, so... Yeah. Well, uh, the uh, just to round it out, the Spiel des Jahres jury also recommended Clank and Pioneers at the Kinderspiel level. That was the other recommendations. I won't go into the Kinderspiel nominees, but just to talk about it, there are uh, a kids game category as well, which are strictly for kids, and then those had nominations as well. One of them was Rhino Hero, I think was one of the recommendations, but that kind of gives you an idea of that category. Um, but have you guys played any of these? Well, I think we've all played Azul. That's right, yeah. To me, that's probably the slam dunk winner there. Uh, that's that's pretty popular and a, a really good game, and uh, at least my, at least my thought would be that. So you never know with them, though, because Exit won last year, right? I or do believe for, it did. Right? It did, it did. So, yeah. I, and I know the mind has been pretty popular, at least on social media and uh, on YouTube, so... I don't know. I would say it's between Azul, which that would be my pick, and then uh, probably the mine would be. It's going to be one of those two, I think. Yeah, I, I I think you're right about that from what I'm hearing and all that kind of stuff. And Clef, to to answer your question, um, it, it was kind of one of those things. I did hear one of the uh, people who announced the nominees speak about it, and he he gave the idea that they had to disqualify a lot of games this year because of poor rule books, which was really interesting to me. But they're being apparently very picky, which I think is a good thing about about uh, games based on their rule books. And especially if we go by what we were talking about uh, earlier that Richie said the other day, you know, these, these Spiel des Jahres nominees have to be games that my mom can pick up and teach herself. So with that rationale, the instructions, the manual has to be pretty good, you know. Yeah. We've all read some bad rule books, and that can really hurt a game. And especially if you don't get a rule right, you could totally screw the game up. Right. Well, in other news uh, related to that, the Pandemic Legacy Season 2 netted Rob Davio and Matt Leacock a special award because of how they developed an ongoing narrative in an inventive way to an existive game to which all other Legacy games must be measured against. That's kind of the way that they that they did it. So they... They got an award because of that, and the the committee said, hey, these guys have really changed this design up, and uh, we want to give them a, a, a reward to to recognize that, or an award to recognize that. So I thought that was kind of, kind of interesting, because I think the last time they gave something like that was in 2011, and I'm not even sure, I don't remember what it was for. But... Did Pandemic Legacy Season 1 win the year that it was up, or did it get beat? 
No, it got beat by uh, Exit. Oh, it, that was okay. Exit. That was up with Exit. Okay, I got you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interesting, mm-hmm. but I think it seems like, and I haven't. None of us have played season two, but it seems like they're saying, you know, the way that they married narrative together with a an existing game system like Pandemic was just sort of kind of revolutionary and everything else is going to be compared against it, which I understand because whenever we talk about legacy games right now, it's kind of like, does it tell that compelling story like Pandemic does? Does it really change things like a good legacy game should? So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's definitely the one that everything is compared to. Yeah. Well, in other news, there's a little bit of scuttlebutt that Asmodee, French board game behemoth, is being shopped around by a parent company, private equity firm called Eurasio, I think. Information surfaced that it was discovered that Eurasio has hired investment bankers to run a sale process, but uh, nothing else is really being confirmed right now because the way they put it, deliberations are confidential. So this news is kind of significant because Asmodee has made it a habit to acquire many smaller board game companies that we know about right now and properties over the last few years. In fact, Richie's mom was acquired by Asmodee last year after discovering a new variant for Bridge. So that's, <laughs> that's there too. I'm sorry. Another, I know. I, that's another mom joke. I have no idea where, where that came from. It's a second mom joke. Uh, this just in. Chad still thinks mom mm. jokes are funny. I don't okay. Wow. Richie, we <laughs> no. might have to discuss Chad doing the news. Yeah, we'll have to talk I don't about know. this. Okay. Take this off air. Sorry. Of course, if, if I would have read all that, I would have mispronounced about 17 words. So, <laughs> so but moving on from that, Asmodee gets sold. What do you guys think? I mean, who's going to buy this? Who's going to buy Asmodee? And where did we go from there? Well, you know, it's the way of the world right now, though. Uh, you know, similar to Toys R Us, you know, 15 years ago, how they got bought out by a major company. And uh, look what happened to them now. So it's it could be scary. It could not affect anything. The the difference there that's interesting though is that like Eurasio made sort of made Asmodee even more uh, prevalent and popular and and made it, it made it more lucrative basically. And now they're kind of just shipping it off, selling it off supposedly. So they're they're making money off of the deal. It's yeah. and and they're a they're an equity firm. So that's kind of what they do, right? I mean, they kind of they just buy companies, make them more profitable, and then sell, sell them off to make a make a profit on them, essentially. Yeah, I just hope we don't see a dip in quality because right, yeah. exactly. I mean, that, like I don't mind paying a little more for games, and I mean, like, like this year, I mean, Riverboat, like that's like a. That would have been like a forty to fifty dollar game. It was coming out, you know, even buying through Miniature Market or cool stuff at sixty seven dollars or sixty five dollars. So yeah, I just don't I don't want to see just a huge drop in quality for what we're paying, basically. Sure. That's a concern. Yeah. All right. So basically that's what's news, kids. Let's move on to the origins preview. Oh, Clef, before we get into talking about specific games. I am not like you, and I haven't been to a bunch of conventions, so I I kind of have some questions to start off before we before we start talking about the the best things, which are the games, right? Okay, I'll give it a shot. What do you got? <laughs> well, I mean, what I mean when you go to a gaming convention, what do you need to? Because we're going to be away. We've gone to a local one and stuff like that, or at least I've gone to a local one. But what what kinds of stuff do you need to worry about? Do you need to bring? Do you need to? Uh, budget your time for that kind of stuff well i'll say this i mean they 
I've never been to Origin specifically. I've, I've been to Gen Con quite a few times. I've, I've, I've been to Geekway of the West. So I've been to a few different uh, out-of-state cons. Gen Con for sure is a, an entire beast of its own where it is, I mean, there is so much going on uh, to me, at least trying to manage your time is, is, is very difficult because there, there is so much. Now I've heard Origins is a little bit smaller and a, and a little bit easier to kind of uh, navigate. But my biggest thing is, just get ready to just kind of take it in. Don't worry about, oh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. Just do what you're there. Have a good time. You know, enjoy the atmosphere and just have fun. That That is going to be my biggest advice. Don't try to do everything because you'll never get it all in. It's impossible. So does that mean don't worry about signing up for a ton of event events in advance and all that stuff? <sighs> I was especially for the first time being there. I wouldn't say, like when I went to Gen Con, I signed up for like a couple of different things. So, you know, like like Dice Tower, uh, their live show and, you know, a couple of things like that. But otherwise, no, I, I just think you're really limiting yourself if you do that. Now, I'm not a big like a lot of people. Maybe you're a tournament guy. Maybe you want to sign up for some sort of a, tur- a board game tournament. Um that would be something different. That's that's not really a big person who I am, so I wouldn't do that. For me, at least, I would say, especially for your first time, steer clear of signing up for a lot of different events and, and kind of pigeonhole yourself into those things because you all of a sudden might decide you want to go do something else, and then you're stuck doing the things that you've signed up for. Well, what about essentials? Are there like things that you absolutely have to bring to a convention? Um, I wouldn't say there's anything 100% essential. Uh, for me, I've got to have some sort of a big backpack for all the things I'm going to buy. Um, I always tell everybody, make sure, like last year when I had a bunch of new people coming to Gen Con with me, make sure you have a water bottle on you. Uh, so otherwise you're going to spend like, you know, $7 for a bottle of water in the convention hall. So always have a nice bottle of water because you do get thirsty walking through those halls and they, they can get hot with all the, you know, bodies and everything there. But other than that, I don't think there's anything that's like, oh my God, you must have this type of thing. So yeah, I'll go with backpack and, and water. Okay. Well, Richie, now your family is in the Columbus area, but right. I, I'm hearing that you don't necessarily, do you have any suggestions for good food in the area? Do you know any of these local places at all? Uh, I mean, I've been to, I'm originally from Toledo, Ohio. My parents moved to Columbus uh, after they left Nebraska. So basically when I go to visit, you know, I get in the car, go straight to the their house, and then, you know, I eat whatever they put in front of me. But <laughs> so, but I sounds good to yeah. me. <laughs> Uh, but definitely the the North Market, we'll be right by that at the convention center, uh, is a, a great place to go eat. The last kind of big restaurant that I went to or like notable restaurant that's kind of unique to Columbus, uh, the Thurman Cafe, mm-hmm. and that they're famous for their, their hamburgers there. So we'll definitely have to check that out while we're down there. Okay. But yeah, uh, the North Market should be good enough for us, though, for, for what right. we're going to be doing. I've heard some good things. Uh one person we know mentioned a place called The Melt or something like that. So that sounds good. Yeah, I've heard yeah, of that. That does sound really good. All right. Well, I think, is there is are there some other things that we need to cover, Clef, or can we get on to the games? Yeah, I, I think let's let's get on to the games. That's what we're there for, right? Yeah. I'm all, all right. right. Uh, how do you want to do this? Do you want to just everybody kind of maybe talk about a couple of games? Or should we go through the list and like look at every game? No, that would take forever. Everybody would be bored with that, I'm assuming. <laughs> There's only 150 on there. <laughs> oh, Let's go through every single one of them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Richie, what's 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 big on your list? What are you what are you looking forward to tracking down and at least investigating? 
I want to check out. It's going to be only uh, on demo there, but Atlantis Rising. Uh, have you, either one of you heard of this one? Not much. Uh, not much. No. Well, Clef, it's going to be right up your alley. It's a co-op, and <laughs> <laughs> it's an older co-op that came out, and I actually used to have a copy. Uh, Z-Man put it out a long time ago, and basically the the theme is that the island of Atlantis is sinking, and you are trying to, as a team, keep it afloat. So it has a really interesting shape. It's kind of like a, almost like a starfish board that's all module, kind of gets pieced together. So as you're going through the game, parts of the island will start sinking, and you just flip over those boards that are underwater and then you are using technology using uh different actions that you can take to to bring those up and you have special player powers so that so everyone on the team has a thing that they are good at basically so i sold my copy just because it went out of print and it it, it was ugly i would say it's very ugly and like i've said in the past i i definitely judge books by their covers and i like nice components so the reprint that they're doing one they cleaned up a bunch of the rules and then two the art uh, is going to be done by vincent dutrait which is my favorite board game artist hand down so i'm i'm just really excited to check that out and get that back into my collection so cool sounds great yeah How about one for you Clef? wonderful oh um mine are not going to be co-op no uh <laughs> i i saw one that i thought looked really interesting uh coimbra Am I, am I saying that right? Coimbra, I think. Coimbra. Okay. Uh, two to four player game. 60 to 90 minutes comes uh, from Egert Spiel. And it is designed by a couple of people that I would be terrible at saying their names. Uh, but I'm going <laughs> to give it a shot. Why not? Flaminia Brazzini. Very good. Okay. And Virgiano Gigili. Gili. Gili. And uh, do either one of you guys know what wonderful game that those two guys co-designed grand austria hotel uh that is correct and then maybe another one richie that you might uh, be fond of what's the other one lorenzo uh oh, might be lorenzo, your number lorenzo. one game right. uh-huh so that certainly right away says to me i'm checking this game out this is this is going to be one that i'm going to enjoy uh it's a dice drafting game uh that has worker placement you draft these dice and you uh, put them out they've the dice are different colors and that kind of corresponds to like if you put that somewhere, like a certain dice might give you some income or a certain one might give you victory points or a certain one gives you other different things. Uh, but one of the things I really liked about it is, is you also like there's these cards that you can draft. And when you go and take a dice, you're going to put it on the, the spot that gets the cards. And after the, everybody's placed all the dice, whoever has the highest dice there gets to draft first. But then that person has to pay, like, for instance, if they put a five there and that was the highest, they're going to have to pay five coins to be able to take that, where if somebody has a two, they only got to pay two coins. So I thought that was kind of a neat aspect of, you know, it's, uh, you know, oh, I want to draft the highest to get the best, but it's going to cost me more money. So um, that basically looks about it. Like the cards will give you different benefits. And then after that, it's just kind of, you know, trying to figure out different ways to, to score victory points. Looks really pretty. Looks like just that type of game that's going to be right up my alley, that nice medium Euro, find a way to get victory points. The theme, yep, I don't have any clue nor really care. Just looks really solid. I'm really looking forward to it. It looks like it's just going to be demoed, but that's one that I'm going to be popping right over there to see if I can get a demo of that one in because it looks really cool to me. It should be released definitely by Essen, if not earlier than that. I saw August in some things too, and uh, I love the... 
the the whole dice manipulation thing how some some are better higher and some are better lower so yeah it's great yeah it looks like really um, cool production yes yeah with the little with the little token things that you have that you set your dice in so it shows that they're yours right it's really mm-hmm. cool right right so all right chad what do you got well top 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 of my list is two of my favorite people in the board game world vital Serta and art by Ian O'Toole, which is his new game, Escape Plan. You are bank robbers who have pulled off a heist, and you have a certain amount of days to get out of the city with as much loot as you can you can keep and handle. And that is the theme to the game. So it's supposed to be a quicker playing game, it looks like from, from what I can tell. And then it also has a lighter feel to it, apparently, from even... Uh, Vital's interviews. He says that this is one of his lighter games that he's designed. So anyway, it looks like you are basically laying down tiles and trying to get out of the city as you do so, and you're trying to avoid uh, cops as they get laid down on those tiles. And there's a variety of other mechanisms that are in place, but just the production values, even on the... Because this is a demo as well, but even on the demo stuff that I've seen... Ooh, it looks slick. And like I said, Ian O'Toole's art is the way to my heart. So this looks like good stuff. I'm really excited to try it out. And it also looks like because it's a shorter game, it has less of a fiddly setup, which as much as I love Lacerda, we all know that his games take a fortnight to set up. So I'm kind of excited about that. Very true. Yeah, that theme is really cool. And I I really wish that just more, especially Euro games, would... You know, get away from trading or, you know, just boring guys standing on the cover. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I was a little worried when you were saying that it was lighter, but then I realized that it's Vital. So lighter, that yeah. means nothing. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Exactly. Lisboa, play a card, draw a new card. Right. All good. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I uh, respectfully disagree. I am all over boring dude on cover trading in the Mediterranean. Works just good for me. But I will say this, this does seem like a cool theme, and I will enjoy checking out that uh, that theme does look kind of neat. Well, Richie, lay another one on us. Really, um, the other ones that I'm interested in are, are expansions. So uh, Whistle Stop, which was one of my favorite games from last year, is going to have the yeah. Rocky Mountain expansion. And the cool thing with this, and uh, Whistle Stop is a pickup and delivery game. You kind of race across the board to get different spots. And what this expansion is going to throw in is, you know, one more stuff, which is, I always love with expansions, more uh, special tiles, more uh, of the uh, end game, or not end game, but the, what's that called when you get to the end of the board? Oh, oh, I know what you're talking about. Those end bonus yeah, tiles. Yeah, end bonus tiles. That's there. exactly yeah. it. All right. End yeah. bonus tiles. It's going to add another stock to the game. So it'll be six stocks in the game that you can go after. And then the really cool thing about this and the, the kind of the, the, the big highlight of it is that it will be adding a mount like little the rocky mountain uh, range to the board and it's actually going to be elevated where it should look a little 3d Uh, and it will be tougher to go up and over the mountains as it would be in real life and the reward for doing it is just greater so excited to check that out i think it's actually going to be for sale there i think so yeah Yeah. it should be so it should be for sale there so i'll definitely be picking that up and bringing it back home uh, so we can give that a try Sweet. Nice, yes, definitely. Yeah, whistle stops one of our favorites, so that's that sounds good. All right, what you got, Clefster? Oh boy, I got my next one. Boy, I 
me reading words is just tough sometimes. Uh, Tio kind of, wow, I already screwed it up. Um, Chad, give me a helpful. How do you say that word? Tio Kaniohuacan. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was just about to say. Uh, City of the Gods. I'm just going to call it City of the Gods. That seems much better. This is by NSKN Games. Uh, One to four players. So it looks like it has a solo mode. 90 to 120 minutes, so a little bit longer. And this is by Daniel Toscini. Toscani? Toscini. Toscini. And David Turitsky. Turtsy. Turtsy. All right, there we go. Any idea what those guys have done? This is like the pedigree of gamers right here. Zulkin. Zulkin. Uh, Mar- uh, Marco Polo. Voyages of Marco Polo. And then David has done uh, one of my favorite games from last year, Anachrony. Some pretty good pedigree there. This is kind of being talked about as kind of like the Zulkin Part 2 because it has a lot of the same theme where you're uh, building pyramids and you're going up on... Uh, God temple tracks. Uh, so s- similar to uh, the theme of the original Zulkin, but the mechanics are, are obviously very different. And first thing that's kind of cool is it has a, mo- a board random setup. So every time you're going to put this board together different and what's kind of neat is you're going to have a, I believe it's three dice or something that you start with. And as you're moving around this board, you can move your dice up to three spaces and whatever stop spot you stop on, then you're going to stop there and do that action. And when you get to an action space, you're going to have a couple of choices. You're going to have one choice that is going to be do a basic action, and then you're going to upgrade your worker, which means you're going to like increase the pip on the die. You don't ever roll the dice in this game. This is just they're just there as kind of a value. So you would increase it and make it better. So the next time it does another action, it's going to do more. Or if you don't want to do the basic action with that upgrade of the die, you can do a like bonus or a better action, but you don't get to upgrade the die. So it's kind of like, a, ooh, well, I really want to do that and upgrade the die, but maybe if I do that bonus action, it's going to be better, which I love those type of decisions in Euro games. So that's really cool. And then you can also, like, if you have more than one of your dice in an area, then it also can increase and get you better things so sometimes keeping your dice together but obviously then you're not going to be able to hop across the board and get to different actions just seems really really cool the little bit i've watched of it i'm just cannot wait once again this is just going to be a demo at origins so uh hopefully coming out at uh gen con i don't know if we've heard that or Essen, one of the two but it looks really good i can't wait to jump in and get a demo of that uh either one of you guys seen or looked at this one Yes, and I think you're right. It's not it's not nearly ready enough for Gen Con. It looks like more of an Essen release, but they have a really good video of it up, like sort of just a paper paper demo copy up on the BGG website from an earlier con thing. Yeah, I've just seen the box art, but it looks really good with those designers. I'm I'm definitely expecting something great. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Chad, what do you got? What's next? Well, this one on my list is more of a curiosity because I'm not a big fan. In fact, I haven't really played the actual game ever before, but I'm curious and I like some games like it. So Werewolf Legacy is a thing, apparently, and that's coming out soon. I think it's supposed to come out around Gen Con, if not for this show, I believe. And I'm just curious about how you put Legacy in Werewolf. Again, I've never played Werewolf, so 
I'm I'm curious about how how that's going to work in that structure. I I know of Werewolf. I know how it plays, but I tend to prefer if I'm going to play like a social deduction game, we usually just play Resistance Avalon because it's it's not too convoluted and it does what we want it to do essentially when we play. But Werewolf Legacy is interesting because you have chapters in a story and somebody sort of takes over the narrator role that I can tell and basically kind of controls that chapter and people can pop in and out for different chapters but the game sort of changes as you do that and the roles seem to sort of change as well so it looks like from what i can tell you don't have a near you don't have the app it's not like the one night series where you have some somebody automatically doing it i think you need a narrator for this one or a moderator i guess is Maybe the better word. So they're not actually killing people, right? Like that would be the ultimate legacy, I would imagine. <laughs> right. Yes. Wow. <laughs> that would that would be yeah, that would be a problem. That's maybe that's a new that's the new horror movie for this year. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Talk about game night gone bad. Okay. Right. You know, I've never played Werewolf either, but I, I agree with you. I, how do they do legacy? That is that's very interesting. A uh, regular werewolf can support like twenty people. Is it still gonna be like that? I think it's fairly big, but again, I don't remember exactly how many it plays. That's a good question. Uh it seemed to support quite a few again, and the moderator, you know, needs to be there, so I don't know. Again, it just—I don't know a lot of details, but it just sounded interesting to me. Richie, why don't you give us one more, one more that you're interested in? Sure. Uh, so there's going to be a trick-taking game there for sale, and I think it's—you would say it's pronounced pick Picoco. Picoco, which I'm guessing is what's that bird? The feathers? Uh, peacock. Yes. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, and and the interesting thing with this trick-taking game is that. You don't actually see – so the, at the beginning of the round, they deal out eight cards, and then you put your cards in this little peacock holder. So it actually looks pretty cool. It will look like uh, peacock feathers from your point of view. So you don't see your cards, and when you play a trick, you are going to pick the card to the person to your left. And so basically you're, you're picking what whatever card they're playing into the trick, but you don't know what cards that you have in front of you. And then whoever – I don't know the full details of it, but basically – whoever played the highest card will win the trick and it's the person who actually owned that card takes the trick. So I'm definitely interested to check that out that I've never seen a trick taking game like that where you're, you're not seeing your, your own cards. So it's kind of Hanabi ish like, but Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I definitely want to check that out. And since it's going to be for sale, I'll, I'll probably pick it up since it's a card game. I thought it looked pretty clever uh, from what I saw of it. Cause I think also you're looking around the table at everybody else's hand and bidding on tricks before you before you start right. the round yep. too, if yep. I remember right. So that's kind of neat. Yeah, so I like that. That does sound interesting. Yep. So the production value looks good too. Yeah, so looks really good. That so. should be right up your alley. Cool. Well, Clef, what do you you got? One more for us? I got like four or five more, but I, I guess. I'll, <laughs> uh, well, I'm gonna say it's not on the Origins list yet, but we've all heard that the Great Western Trail expansion is supposed to come out. Oh yeah. A little worrisome that it's not on the list yet, but. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed and hope that that still comes out because that is, uh, that's like first buy for me because Great Western is one of my favorites and I'm definitely would be interested to uh, get that for sure. But the game that I will talk about that I really think looks kind of interesting, it's a card game, which is not as big on my list as it would possibly be for both of you guys. But this one's coming to us from a publisher that I really like, and that's Capstone Games. 
They have put out some just some really, really good games here from Haspel Connect. Um, hey, I know how to pronounce that one. And <laughs> Wild, Wildcatters, um, The Roar. They've got some really good, solid games. And I know they got a couple of good ones still coming out too. But So I want to check this one out. Uh, plays two to four players, about 60 to 90 minutes. Ralph Beignart and Bernard Einstein. Yeah, I'm going to go with Einstein. Uh, do you know what these two guys have developed together? Oh, is it... Uh... Is it burned? Yeah. Okay. So, so St. Petersburg. Uh, nope. Oh shoot. And the answer is nothing. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> we were doing so well with the other two games of big name games. And uh, the only thing I could even find was order of the gilded compass, which I do own, but have played once like two and a half years ago. And I don't even remember how it plays. So anyways, um, it's a trading card game. You have one of the best words for Chad here, the multi-use card. Yep. That can do different things. Otherwise, it's it looks like it just you're kind of collecting cards and you know trying to get bonuses and different things. They said it's only 15 actions for the entire game. So it sounds like it's really tight on the actions. And I think there's some ways to take a couple of bonus actions, which I think sound like they're really important. I couldn't can't tell you a lot about it. I, I, I couldn't find a whole lot, and there's not a bunch out there. I did see that there's a heavy cardboard uh, playthrough of it that I haven't had a chance to watch, but capstone games, you know, looks like a good heavy type of, you know, I would not heavy, but medium type of Euro type of game. It's got me intrigued enough that I'm definitely going to want to check that one out. So if you like card games and you like anything from capstone, definitely worth checking out. Cathargo. I do believe is how it is pronounced. Yeah. That, 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 um, I just saw actually today Carthago has a playthrough with uh, John Gitz Games. There's a little oh. bit more information on that today. So there we go. Check that out. Okay, go good. check out under John he Gitz does... Games. Check out Carthago and and uh, it'll be on there. So yeah, he does and a wonderful job. That's he does. Good. I didn't get to watch it yet, but all right, uh, Chad. What else do you got? Well, I kind of tried to look for some. I named some pretty high-profile ones, so I kind of tried to look for some that still sounded interesting but not so high-profile. Uh, the last one on my list is a game by Queen Games, so kind of mixed bag with them sometimes, but Franchise is the game. Basically, from what I could find, it is a re-implementation of an older game that came out in 1998, older by, by our Cult of the New standards anyway, uh, <laughs> and it's... It's called Medieval Merchant. So it's a re-implementation of Medieval Merchant, which was originally by Christvart Conrad. And he is doing the re-implementation, but now it is set in the 1950s-60s fast food era with art by Ian O'Toole. So I'm I'm in. I'm in. Uh, I'm interested. Basically, Medieval Merchant had base this this market system where you're looking for affordable trade routes between cities and trying to force other opponents into less affordable or less valued markets and then the cities themselves have have kind of like a variable number of spaces in them for for players that they can develop these business branches and kind of do route building throughout to reach bigger cities and towns and you're generating an income and trying to have dominance over certain cities or add stuff in the cities that lower the value of your product but get, give you more influence. It's, it's There's a whole bunch of stuff in there. To me, it sounded like kind of a almost a variation on Food Chain Magnate, but without the card 
mechanism that you have of hiring players. It's just sort of the route building aspect. So it sounded interesting because it's kind of cutthroat too in maybe the way that Hansa, Hansa Teutonica is kind of cutthroat where you're kind of forcing people off their routes and stuff like that. And you have those, you have those area majority things. So yeah, anyway, all, all those things along with Ian O'Toole and it sounded interesting to me. You guys heard of it before? No, not since not when I read the the page there on from Origins Preview, and you'd be talking about it. I haven't heard anything about it. I saw the box cover, and I like that because I'm not a huge fan of food chain magnate. So I was kind of hoping that this would be, uh, you know, kind of some type of not a reimplementation of it, but uh, in that same vein. So uh, based on what you said, though, it sounds interesting. Well, I will still play food chain magnate and this if I like it. So, <laughs> but there you go. Now before we move on, I got. One other game that I want to ask you guys, what is this? Because maybe one of you guys will know. What exactly is Codenames Double XL Edition all about? Just bigger cards? I, saw Ooh, I don't know. Did you guys see it? I really look into it. It just says Codenames Double XL Edition, and it's $40. Well, it could be because it's all the Codename stuff in one box. Uh, yeah, it, no, yeah. It, it is giant Codenames. So just for people to be able to see the cards better and easier. It, no, it looks giant. Uh, there's a video of Dan King holding the box, and it's like half his torso. Maybe not that big, but oh, it's wow. it's huge. Wow. Okay. okay, is anybody interested in checking that out? No, I don't no, think so. I like regular size code names just fine. Yeah, yeah. I would agree yeah. with that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a good game, though, but I don't need that. All right, very good. All right, well, that's all for our origin preview. Hopefully, those out there listening found something to interest them or get them excited about the upcoming con season in general. I do want to say, if anybody that's listening is going to Origins, if you want to, please shoot us an email. We'd love to meet up with you, get to get to talk with you if that's something you're interested in. We kind of do this podcast because we like meeting new people and like talking about games and enjoy sharing the hobby. So if that's something you want to do, please feel free to hit us up. You had our email uh, earlier, but again, it's punchboardparadise at gmail. So please shoot us something and hopefully we can meet up. That'd be fun. Well, Clef, will you update us with uh, the contest entries, please. Absolutely. So uh, a couple of episodes ago, we had a contest that we ran for a free board game when we were kind of talking about culling our collection. Uh, so we have picked a winner out of the random hat, and his name is Derek Hibbler. Or, yeah, Hibbler. Is yeah, I, I think I, so. I hope I didn't mispronounce that. Okay. Yep. So congratulations, Derek. You are a winner. So you can just contact us, just uh, shoot us an email, and I'm going to give you the three games that you're going to get to choose from that are coming from, I won't even tell you whose collection, which game is from, but you're going to get to choose from Elysium, The Manhattan Project, or Viceroy. So any one of those games, if you are uh, interested, you pick which one. Hopefully you don't already have all three of them and are looking to call them yourself. But if you are, email us that. We can figure something else out. But anyways, that is the three games you can choose from. So congratulations, Derek. And uh, here hopefully soon we'll run another contest and uh, somebody else give another free game away to somebody else. Definitely. Okay, well, that is going to wrap it up for episode six. So once again, please feel free to follow us on our board game guild at uh, 3227. We still have uh, some polls up there. If you're interested in voting on our filler from last uh, episode, 
go and uh, give us a vote on that. You can also check us out at our Punchboard Paradise Facebook page and also at our Twitter account at Punchboarders and finally on Instagram at Punchboard Paradise. And I'd like to make a special announcement real quick here too. Um, Mom, I know you're listening and it's really nice to hear those things, but if you would leave us a review on iTunes, it would really help us out. So please, Mom... Leave that review on iTunes. That would be great. If anybody else, <laughs> you and mothers, else, what is up with him yeah. and moms? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if it's our Mother's else, Day episode. <laughs> yes, this is. Uh, if anybody else feels like leaving a review on iTunes, that would be super because that's kind of the way that people who don't know about us can find us too. So we would appreciate that and give us some likes mm. on Instagram. I, I hate saying that, but we really appreciate your help. So thanks so much. Okay, so next episode, the punch boarders are going to review Newsfjord, somewhat right. something like that, <laughs> yeah. approximately, uh, by UA Rosenberg. So I look forward to that. And like I said, hopefully see some of you at uh, at Origins. Everybody have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.